0: Welcome to those of you joining us online. Glad you're joining us today. Um, Yes, I entirely forgot about this uh, dedication class. So between services, I was up there making copies of things I have to make copies of. So I am ready to go. At any rate, um, we've been in the book of Ephesians now for several uh, weeks. And I I, I love the book of Ephesians. It has two main parts to it. The first three chapters talks a lot on doctrine and truths and things that we need to really... uh, Pursue and know, and th- so that our thinking's right. And then the, the last three chapters, when you get to chapters four, f- five, and six, it gets super practical. Like, this is how you live out your faith, this is how you do these things practically. And we're right in the midst of this practical aspect of Ephesians. Um, and basically, what we're seeing Ephesians do here is take the message of God right into our living rooms. Uh, Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about marriages. That gets pretty personal pretty fast, right? And basically, what I find fascinating about Ephesians is that it kind of mirrors Genesis chapters three and four only it providing the solution that Genesis 3 and 4 uh, created a problem for. So let's go back and and see what the problem was. Now, we know that sin entered the world in in Genesis 3, but then it had devastating effects. There was a pronouncement made that, you know, uh, the marriage wouldn't quite be right. Uh, uh, She would desire a husband, he would rule over her. Neither one of those words, desire or rule, are very good words in the original Hebrew of the the Old Testament. But then right after that, we see that the sin thing keeps expanding expanding its tentacles and keeps affecting uh, relationships in a, in a bad way. And, and so let's, let's, let's look at some of that today. I'm going to read to you now from um, Genesis chapter four, verses one through 12. Listen to the scripture. Now Adam and Eve had sexual relation, well now Adam had sexual relationships with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. Uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, "With the Lord's help, I have produced a man." Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do as right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So we see this kind of expanding tragedy of sin as a brother kills a brother here. And I have one word to describe this whole thing. Dysfunctional. Marriage is dysfunctional. Sibling relationships have become dysfunctional. I don't know about you, but when I read this story, and I think back on my brother and my sister and our relationship growing up, we had some whoppers of fights. Anybody relate to me on that? Having six kids, they had some whoppers of fights at times. But nobody killed anybody. Amen? How about your household? Nobody killed anybody, right? And You read this and you go, wow, this is really sad. Um, Sometimes kids can be really mean to one another, especially brothers to brothers and sisters to sisters. It seems like it goes that way. Listen to the story. This guy recounts uh, his younger days. He said this, my youngest brother and I were helping my mother bake a cake in the kitchen. We would often fight who were over who got to lick the beaters. Now, I know today you don't let kids lick the beaters because you're worried about salmonella and all that stuff. But back in the day, we didn't know. We just ate everything. So just pretend you're back in my day. And they would often fight over who got to lick the beaters. Well, his younger brother beat him to the punch and asked mom first if he could uh, get the beaters, which she said yes to. So when I had finished mixing, I did what I was told, and I handed the beaters to my little brother. And at that point, my mother, he says, grabbed me squarely by the shoulders and kind of shook me and said, you turn that beater off first before you hand it to your brother. So, yeah, turn the mixer off. I should have said not the beaters, but you get what I'm saying. Um... Anyway, our reading from Genesis 4 reveals that all the family relationships were now problematic because of sin. And if you read Genesis with an eye closely on following the effects of sin, you, you see it gets worse and worse and worse until God ultimately says, I, I, okay, we're going to take care of this problem and he sends the flood. Sin just escalated. So the problem of following humanity is simply this, sin affects relationships on all levels, marriage brother to brother in relationships in general. And interestingly enough, it's like Ephesians is kind of tracking with Genesis. It's showing us what we have in redemption in Jesus Christ. First of all, our marriages can be restored to what they're meant to be. Pastor Aaron talked about that last week. Today, I'm gonna talk about this this restoration of parent to child relationship and how that can look and function correctly in the Lord and beyond. I'm gonna look at all relationships in in general. Um, Ephesians informs us that we can have these redeemed relationships actually happening in our family and in our interaction with People in general, um, we're going to talk a lot about parent-child relationships stuff here. Don't get lost in thinking that's only about parenting today. It is not. We're also going to talk about the understanding that we have this relationship with God the Father. That 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 really our parenting is supposed to mirror. What's happening there? You'll see what I mean as the day proceeds. So just stay tuned in. this stuff applies to, to all people here. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter six now, verses one through nine. Listen to what this says. Listen closely. as God talks about now, what redeemed relationships looks like in the family. He's kind of continuing from chapter five, but then quickly jumps into an extreme example. "Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves... Obey your earthly masters. You go, what? We just, what? We went from family, now we're to slaves? It'll make sense at the very end of the message. All right? So just don't let me forget to tell you why it makes sense. (laughs) Because I almost did that first hour. (laughs) Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. So just like Jesus Christ... Drastically changes and redeems the marriage relationship. As Paul continues to share in Ephesians, he says, Jesus drastically changes the parent-child relationship. In fact, he changes all relationships drastically. So let's talk about obedience. A lot of talk about obedience in this scripture. And I want to talk about the foundation of obedience and why it's so important. The redeemed parent-child relationship begins with the children obeying their parents in the Lord. That's where it begins. By the children obeying their parents in the Lord. And Ephesians 6.1 simply ends by saying, this is right for children to obey their parents in the Lord. Now, when I use that word obedience, I understand it has kind of the same connotations that submission had, <laughs> as Pastor Aaron talked about last week, that when we hear the word submission and obedience, usually we don't go, oh, yay, good words. But they're so good words. They're such good words. For the Christ follower, submission and obedience, man, that's powerful. And, and it's, it's just such a good place uh, to be in. Um, it's simply right, as scripture says. Um, Colossians 3.20 states it this way. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. And I think more than we want to admit, instead of really having these deep moments of, 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 of training our children, we just try to exist I don't know about you, I I can look at Dave and Heidi Hope with four little ones. I I can relate. It's a long time ago. But when you have five or six of these buggers, they outnumber you. And sometimes when you get up in the morning, your goal is to go to bed. You just want to get through the day. I I was reading this lately, and I I just had got a chuckle out of the story. A young mother left her two preschool children home uh, with dad for the day, and he took the day off from work for this to happen. Um... And I remember when Vicky would leave, "Bless your heart, honey, I love you so much." And she would leave me with two or three or four little ones, and I'd just pray, "Oh Jesus, help me. help me get through this day, because she does this way better than I do this." Anyway, so at the end of the day, she returned from work, uh, home, she returned home to find her husband exhausted from a day with the children and trying to hide that fact. The mother gently asked him, "How did it go?" He answered, "Oh it was fine. You know, when somebody says, oh, it was fine, that means it was not fine. Amen. Amen. Fine is a cue to say, okay, what was not fine here? And she said, did you have some trouble? Just a couple of times the kids were a little bit unmanageable. then she said, well, when did these episodes take place? And then he fessed up. He just confessed. He said, well, to be honest, the first four hours you were gone were pretty unmanageable. And the last five hours before you got home, they were likewise unmanageable. In other words, for nine hours straight, I was out of control, you know. And I think that characterizes a lot of our homes at times. And we just, our child rearing just becomes, can we get through the day and go to bed on time at least, or through something like that. Um, But we have to understand the primacy of obedience, And how important it is for the welfare of our children. And how important it is for our own walks in the Lord Jesus Christ. The primacy of obedience is just incredibly, incredibly important to get. It's one of those discipline, discipleship concepts that if we don't get it, we do that to our own harm. And if our children don't get it, it's to their harm also. So let's talk about the primacy of obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me... Obey my commands. So get this. Love is demonstrated by what? Obedience. So if you say, I love you, Jesus, but you don't do what he says, what does I love you mean then? Not much. Because Jesus himself said, if you you love me, you obey what I command. One author I read said this, obedience is the ultimate test of reverence. No amount of worship is a substitute for doing the will of God. And and this kind of lesson's all over in the Bible. Um, Think about King Saul. If you know that story, I'll explain it to you real quickly here just so you know what I'm talking about. But Saul was named the first king of Israel. Yeah, and God commanded him when he was doing the kingly stuff and taking care of some business to, to make sure none of the livestock was left alive uh, of one of the places that he wished to take. Well, Saul decided, well, I'll keep some of the livestock alive. And so Samuel, the prophet, comes to him and said, what is the bleeding of sheep I hear? What are you, what are you doing, basically, to Saul? And, and Saul says, well, I kept some alive to sacrifice to, to the Lord. But that's not what God said to do. Amen. And Samuel rebuked him and said to, to, to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. And you see this primacy of obedience throughout the Bible. It's a common theme woven through so many of the stories. And if, if your children are going to do well, they're going to have to understand the importance of obedience. If we're going to do well as children of God the Father, we have to understand the primacy of obedience. Amen. Recently, I did some brickwork. <laughs> my wife gets me doing projects. She, she's, By the way, she does the second hour FaceTime thing, you know. So I look at the camera every time I think of you. Hi, how are you doing? Anyway, uh, so we're doing this brickwork around this fireplace. I've never done anything like that in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. But how hard can it be, right? So I, YouTube the stuff and you know look at the instructions and so I go buy this mortar. It's called polymeric mortar and it's supposed to really work well for gluing the stuff to the wall. It does. You stick that thing on there, it just sticks there. It's an amazing, it's an amazing you know uh, uh, chemical bond thing that happens very quickly. I, I love that kind of stuff. I don't know about you. I just sat there, marvelled at this stuff. Is really sticky. It's cool, right? And so we're sticking this stuff up, and I'm thinking about this. You know, obedience is like that mortar. It's like that cement. When we obey God, it cements us to him. It cements us to his righteousness. It's like this really sticky kind of relational thing that happens. We don't think of obedience as a relational thing, but it really is. And when we are obedient to our God, it's like his righteousness sticks to us. Amen? And we become the followers he intends us uh, to become. Um, I think... The reason that Ephesians talks about obedience, Colossians talks about obedience with your children because of its primacy. It's so fundamentally important. It's a character quality that needs to be instilled in our children early. And as a Christ follower, guess what? It's our primer to our education too as being a disciple. We have to learn early on in our walk in Jesus the importance of obedience. If we don't learn that, we're going to maintain and be constantly at this infant stage in, in terms of our relationship with God. Let's define obedience. It comes from the Greek word hupokoyo. You know, it means to stand up under a load. And I used to do this uh, teaching with the youth. There's this Hupacoyo teaching on, on being obedient. And I used to, this there's a little dance we do. It's kind of like the raise the roof dance. You, you know what the raise the roof dance is? Some of you go to football, basketball games where they, they don't do that anymore, do they, much? Anyway, you know what I'm saying, and and, and to try to get them to understand that. I'm standing up under the load that God has in my life, but I'm being obedient as I do so. That's kind of the essence of this word, And, and there's a context to obedience. It's in the Lord. So children aren't being called to this blind obedience of doing whatever mom and dad says. They're being called to this obedience in the context of God. And this is to keep it from being an abusive thing. In fact, Paul clarifies here, listen, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instruct them and train them up in the Lord. So how does obedience really work is the question. How do we as Christian parents begin to instill such a concept into our children? How do we as a follower of God begin to be one to really are characterized by obedience, taking this whole thing uh, seriously. Well, I'm going to go over what I call a relational funnel with you today. And I want to talk about how our children should be trained up, grown up, and in, 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 in become what they're meant to become in, in, in relationship to us as parents. That, my friend, mirrors what's supposed to happen with you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to grow up and mature in our, our understanding of what it means to be a follower. And so we're going to put up this uh, funnel of relationship, and I'm going to just walk you through this, and it should appear on the screen here, I hope. There it is. All right, I know some of you who are overachievers are arguing to fill in all the blanks, so just go ahead and fill them in. Uh, in your note guide, there's a funnel of relationship, and, uh, and uh, this applies to spiritual maturity as well. Um, you notice that the funnel expands and it moves up. So relationship becomes really important the, the, the higher up you move on the funnel, okay? At the beginning point there, relationship really isn't understood at all at that point. Um, and so this is how our relationship grows and matures with Jesus Christ. And this, my friends, is how you are supposed to, to raise your children, Okay? The two mirror each other. That's why I say the message today is applicable to whoever's here, whether you have small children, or whether you have adult children, whether you have no children, whether you're single. It applies to every, every one of us here. So, I'm going to use uh, some parenting language, but then I'm going to quickly use discipleship language too, okay? Are you following what I'm doing here today? I just want to make sure we're all together. So, let's look at this first word, authority. Um, When your children are young, age zero to five, you have to be established in their life as an authority and their response has to be obedience to you. It's just primary. It's so utterly important. You know why? Because you can't have your two-year-old saying no to you when you tell them not to run in the street and get hit by a car. You can't go, oh, well, hopefully the car stops. You're training them up to listen to your voice because you're their moral authority at that time. They don't know any better, amen? Amen. And they could kill themselves. Part of my goal when my kids were little was just to keep them from harm. And same with my grandkids. I, you go through it all over again. You know, if you, if, you, if you jump off the top of that fridge, I don't know why you're up there. You're probably going to get hurt. We're not going to do that right now. Do your kids do that? Climbers. I have climbers. I still have climbers. Like my little um, grandson Ezra was climbed. I go, why are, you, why are you up there? He doesn't know. He just climbs. You know, and that's what they do. And here's my saying, I hope you adopt this, especially if you have younger children. You're the parent and parenting you will do, amen? Amen. You are the parent and parenting you will do. You cannot be your three-year-old's best friend. At that point, you need to be their parent. I see people, they're so excited to have a child, you know, just have a few. You, the excitement goes away. But anyway, um, they're so excited. They got this little child. And they want to be the best friend with this little child. You usually do this with the firstborn one. You know, you do everything wrong with your firstborn. Amen? We named our firstborn Elizabeth Grace Norby. And it's by the grace of God she even turned out. You know, we didn't know diddly squat of what we are doing. So, you know, at any rate, well, Vicky knew. Vicky, you knew. I did not know diddly squat. How's that? At any rate, what was I talking about? Oh, okay, okay. So you want to teach them the primacy of obedience uh, that they, they, they listen to your voice. And I see these parents get so excited. They want that little child, that two or three-year-old, to be their best buddy. And they're having like this adult conversation, like the kid's 21 to three. You know what happens? That three-year-old will act like what? A three-year-old. And if you treat him like a 21-year-old, you're in big trouble. Because they're not ready for that kind of relational dynamic yet. They're three. And so what they need to learn at three is to hear your voice, to be obedient, to know you love them, to find security in the boundaries that you set up uh, for their little lives. Now, as I've already mentioned, obedience is a good word for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because the first thing we need to learn, it's like the primer education uh, of discipleship, is we need to understand that God's our authority. Amen? Amen. And nothing, nothing, friends, supersedes the authority of God in our lives. Nothing. I don't care if they write laws of the land. If that law is against God's compass and against his ways, I choose to obey God, not man. Amen? Because God is authoritative in my life, and my response to God is to be one of obedience. If we do not learn that fundamental Relational dynamic with our Lord God. We will always struggle in our faith. We'll never really move from being a consumer to being a contributor. We'll never really move into the game that God has ordained for us to play out. Amen. So this is just basic building blocks. Let's move to the next area. That's training, and for a child usually that's uh, that's hardcore from six to twelve years of age. Um, they're usually still think your parents are pretty cool at that point, so they're kind of teachable, right? Sometimes, you know, you got overachievers and they quit thinking you're cool when they're five. But at any rate, um, most of the time you can have a, a, a lot of input into their little lives and train them up. And fathers, you know, you're supposed to train up your children in the ways of the Lord, instruction and training. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to take that mandate. This is something parents, you're the primary ones. You're the primary disciple of your children, Church, we come alongside you to help. We have you know, children's ministries and youth that helps, but you are the primary discipler of your children. I love what John Ortberg wrote in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He said, training allows you to do tomorrow what you cannot do today. So what's coming up on May 14th? Anybody know here? In town? What's coming up May 14th? The marathon? Anybody? Ooh, nobody knew that, did they? Hardly. So, in fact, it's a Boston Marathon qualifier, right? If I have my story, Tom. So, so I'm talking with uh, Stephanie Ballard last, last Sunday. She was on this side doing praise and, and with, with Kyle. And she's running in the marathon this year. Anybody running in the marathon? And evidently not, because you didn't know about that. You guys are running in the marathon, seriously? Oh, relay. Well, that counts. You still have to run six miles, right? Or is it three here? Okay. Good for you. You'll look like it's a studs coming in because they don't know you did the relay. And they think, wow, look at that person. There's a stud. But, because um, I did a relay up in, up in Fargo and I was running and people were clapping. i go, going, no, don't clap. I just ran six miles. No big deal. So uh, at any rate, so Stephanie was telling me she's preparing for this, this, this uh, marathon. And she said, I just ran a 23 miler. I said, oh, you're ready to go then. Because you can do the 26 miles pretty easily if you can get 23 miles in. So let's pretend... Stephanie decides to run the marathon like five days before it's going to happen. You think she could complete it? The longest run I've ever done impulsively was 13 miles, and I was 16 years old. One day, my friend and I just said, let's run until we're tired. And 13 miles later, we we're tired, and I couldn't walk for the next week. Because I hadn't ever trained for it. I just thought, "Well, I'll just run, and... and Very few people can run a marathon without training. Some can. And if you fell down on the side of the path and I stood over the top of you and said, you need to try harder, would that help? No, because you need to train more. You need to train more. And the operative word I would have for parents is train up your children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Learn their gifts learn their personality, learn how they learn and work accordingly and be a smart parent and train them up, amen, so that they're equipped to do tomorrow what they cannot do today. Put the Word of God in their lives all the time. Pray with them all the time. Anytime you see something that's a teachable moment, stop, teach them along the way when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, become a discipler of your child. And training needs to be the operative word. All that investment will pay off in humongously huge dividends. Amen. For you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ, training is our operative word. Read the Bible a lot. Lately, I've been um, reading large sections, large sections of the Bible or listening to it, whatever's convenient. You know why? Because we're in a culture now that's going south fast. And I'm hearing so much on truth all the time. I don't know about you. All this noise, all this stuff, and I need to listen to a large month of scripture to get reset all the time. I just got to get reset. I got to get focused on Christ. I got to focus on his truth. And you know what? Um, you're training, you're training your mind. Uh, you pray, set times up to pray. Uh, the other day, I got something in my eye. I couldn't figure out what it was, and it just was bothering me. to to walk. And later on, it just came out of my eye. You know what? I automatically said, Praise you, Jesus. That's such a relief. And I just started praying because I pray a lot, pray a lot, pray frequently. Pray short prayers, pray long prayers, pray for your children, pray for your, your husband or wife, pray for your neighbors. It's pray, just make it a habit. You're praying, praying, train yourself to pray. Get in touch with the person of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to anoint your prayer times, you know. Uh, 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 but, but train, train, train. You know, we do things like fast because we want our bodies to be under our control and not be at the mercy of impulses. So we do these spiritual disciplines and we're training. You know why? Because God has a marathon for us to run. And he wants us to be equipped to do tomorrow what we cannot do today. Training needs to be an operative word as as followers of God. Um, Phase three in child rearing could be called coaching and phase three in being a disciple could be understanding some of these concepts I'm gonna share with you. So when your kid gets to be 13 to 19 or 20 or whatever, they're in the game of life, man. They're gonna go out, they're gonna be on their own a lot and they're going to spread their wings a little bit and fly. And hopefully you've done a good job of putting some more compass into the, the child's life. At that point, though, basically you're coaching them. And hopefully they do okay. And every now and then you have what? A big old time out. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, 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 let's talk about this. Right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a very competitive person. And so when I used to play basketball especially in high school, that competitiveness that would just grab a hold of my heart. Some of you can understand what I'm saying, right? And it was frequently where the coach would go, you know, pull me out of the game, like three minutes into the game, says, sit down, settle down. (laughs) You're you're out of control right now. Just settle down for a moment and just recenter on what we're actually trying to accomplish here today, and and then we'll put you and then you put me back in. And I thought I had to have that happen to be able to focus on the game. Sometimes our kids are out there, and you need to say, "Time out. Let's let's talk. Let's figure this out." And it becomes more relational, but you're, and you're coaching them up, and that's that's what we have to quickly get with our God too, where we're in tune with Him and we're in the game. First of all. God says now at this point, you're in the game. You're not just a consumer. You're to be a contributor. You're to be a participant. Uh, you're really starting to mature in your faith when you're beginning to see that it's not about me. It's about God's will and his will being accomplished. Amen? And you get out there and you say, I'm willing to participate. And every now and then God will pull you out you know, and say, hey, let's, let's talk here. And let's get this part right. Okay? So you kind of see this, the relational dynamic is increasing. You follow what I'm saying here? And then you get to the final word here in this uh, uh, funnel of relationship, and that's the word friendship. Ultimately, ultimately, uh, in child rearing, the goal is is phase four here, friendship. Where your 20-year-old, your 25-year-old, your 30-year-old or 40-year-old, depending on how, uh, how old your children are, they become your best friends. They become your confidence and you counsel them every now and then if they, they desire to have some counseling. But it's kind of mutual. They begin to counsel you back. It's not a bad thing. One time I was talking with Nate, and he goes, Dad, you know you get stuck on things. You get a little O.C. I said, yeah. He goes, you just probably need to back off on this one. And he was right. So he gets to know, you know, you get to know them. They get to know you. And it's a friendship thing. You can't be best friends at three, but you can be best friends when they're 20. And for men, it's probably 26. But at any rate, you follow what I'm saying? So you take that however you want it to, to, to take it, um, and and at this, it, so with God, what's our ultimate goal? Friendship. Jesus said, "I no longer call you servants; I call you what? Friends." And ultimately, you know that you're doing well and, and you're getting spiritually mature. When you begin to desire just to be with God, it's like hanging out with your best friend or your wife or your husband or whatever. You just, it's easy and it's good and it feels right and you just enjoy it. Um, but you need to embrace the fundamentals like obeying and training and getting in the game in order to really get to this friendship thing. And then the reality of, of, of Ephesians chapter 2. Begins to be something that we experience. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which he foreordained for us. And we can really enter into that. And experience that kind of, of life. And ultimately. What spills out of this whole relational funnel. Is this thing called honor. If you notice here God. Uh, uh, or the Lord was saying. Or Paul and Paul was writing it. Was that ultimately. In a good healthy child-parent relationship, honor the, the children will honor their parents. Amen? And ultimately in our relationship with God, we're getting to a really healthy place when we what? With God. We honor God. So what should spill out the relational funnel is this. Honor for father and mother and God should spill out of that relationship ultimately. Um, the child should grow up to value of the parents and, and, and honor, especially for adult children. There's nothing better than you can do for your parents. It's, it's a great gift just to honor them. Even if they're unhonorable. Even if they're, you know, not the parents they should have been. God still calls you as a redeemed follower to honor your parents. Um, I remember, um, so, uh, but, uh, okay, let me give you the next point. Honoring has an added incentive of blessing, too. And, and, and Paul quotes the Ten Commandments here. You know, honor your mom and dad for this is right. Uh, so that goes well with you and you live long on the earth. So, so honoring has the added incentive of blessing. So let me share a personal story here. It was basically 24 years ago that I was struggling with this call into ministry. I didn't know if I should do it or not. I had taken four years of Bible school at this point. Uh, I was still working at 3M. I kept getting promoted at 3M. I was now a plant engineering manager over here at the plant in, in... right across town here from us um, at the medical plant. Yeah, doing really well, making lots of money, enjoying my life, you know. I Got high enough up in the hierarchy where I could just tell everybody what to do. You know, that's usually a good spot to be if you like that kind of thing. And uh, I just helped, felt this call of God to go into uh, full-time ministry. And I was just struggling with it. And Vicky looked at me one time when we were talking about it and said, have you talked to your dad about it yet? <laughs> and I said, why would I talk to him? And she said, well, you should honor him. And, um, and I remember saying, well, you know, (laughs) he's not a very spiritual guy. And, uh, it was a tough relational thing going on with us. Okay. And, and he had some alcoholism problems and some things like that. And it was just, we were not very close. And, uh, She wanted me to go back and ask him what he thought about me being a pastor. And the only time I heard my dad talk much about me was he said he would brag to his friends that I was the manager at 3M. You know, he was, you know, happy with my accomplishments. And every time he'd say that, I said, Dad, don't say stuff like that. You know, especially, he said, well, I want to shut him up. I said, don't use me to shut him up, but whatever. And so we had this really... Tenuous kind of strained relationship going on, so I called him up because I thought, well, I'll call him up and this ought to be interesting. And I said to Dad, "What was going on?" I explained it really briefly to him, and he said some things that just shocked me. He said, "You haven't been happy for a long time, have you?" I said, "Well, I can't say I'm unhappy, but you know, the job I'm doing is a good job, but I don't know if I, I, I feel called to this other thing." He goes, "Well." I can tell there was something wrong. And he goes, life is short, Steve. Just make the change. Just do what you think you need to do. And if you feel like you're called into ministry, he used like words like that. He never talks like that. And he said, if you feel like you're called into ministry, then you should pursue ministry. And I said, okay. And we had an interesting conversation and I got off the phone. I said, huh. I told Vicki, he just told me I should do this. And that was the final word of a, what I would say counsel I got when I made the decision to become an assistant pastor here uh, like 24 years ago at this church. And I tell you, I'm going to just say this, I hope I don't cry, but I can't imagine the blessings that lied ahead for me to do that because I did that, made that decision. I had no idea how good it was going to be. Now, is pastoring easy? No, it's terribly hard. Am I frustrated? Half my life has been frustrated. How about you guys? But when I look back over my life, I think this has been the best life I could have ever lived. I mean that with all my heart. And I honor my dad and I experience the blessing that came with that. Now, I know that we all come from different family backgrounds and sometimes it's pretty dysfunctional. Just to honor the position. Respect them. Even if they're not respectable or if they've mistreated you. Because this is about you being a redeemed person and acting like a redeemed person filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, amen? So, with that, I wanna go into, I wanna get back to uh, the slaves master thing, and then we're wrapping this up like in the next minute, okay? So, Paul is talking on marriage and then parent and child relationships, right? And then he jumps to masters and slaves. So, if you had a grid, like a, a scale of relationship, you could have marriage, right? It's a primary relationship. Then you have your kids next, and then over here probably next is relatives and family, other family, cousins and friends. Then here you go, work associates, right? And this maybe neighbors that you're living next to, um, right? And then over here it's Walmart greeters. Whatever. They're always friendly. I'm just saying. They always say hi and they act like they're happy I'm there. I don't know if they are or not. But anyway, they're here, right? And then somewhere off here, off the platform, down here, maybe over here, it's slaves and masters, right? It's that far off the grid. It's just off the grid. And so Paul, it's like he jumped from point A to point Z in the relational grid here. You know why he's doing that? He's saying that every single relationship that we participate in has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And you should treat it differently and in that perspective. It's not that he's endorsing slavery here or something. That's how that scripture has been misused. He's talking relationships here and how we relate to other people. And masters and slavery somewhere over there. And he's saying the whole spectrum comes under the lordship uh, of Jesus Christ. So here's our conclusion. As a Christ follower, see beyond earthly perspectives and embrace a godly understanding of relationship. Let's close with a word of prayer here. And then we got a great song at the end of the service today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this uh, teaching in Ephesians 5 and 6 that we've been going over for uh, a few weeks here now. This is so powerful, especially if we actually apply it to our lives. I just pray for anyone here today first. I'm going to echo Brennan's prayer. Jesus, I pray for anyone that's maybe new among us. It all begins with you, Jesus. You're like the tip of the relational funnel. And even if we don't understand relationship yet and what that means with you, I pray someone would give their life to you this morning Lord and just become a follower of yours a true disciple of yours now relationship to begin with will be pretty narrow because we don't understand that yet we don't understand what we just entered into it's this education thing there's this learning your authority and learning to be obedient to you then understanding training and understanding how to play the game ultimately though it leads to this kind of full orbed relational uh, just high point Lord just a good place to be I just pray for all of us that we'd see that ultimately that's what God wants to move us to that he calls us friend and that we're on the same page with him that we're no longer fighting his ways or questioning his ways but we've fully embraced him we know his ways we love his ways and following hard after him I just pray that would be the characterization of Grace Point people and all, all people living, listening online today I pray for the two Lord we love you Jesus thank you for invading our living room in this last couple of weeks, coming to the place where we actually live with, into our families. Thank you that your scripture is, is that relevant, that it affects every dynamic of our lives. So I just pray for everyone here today, Lord Jesus, just fill them with your Holy Spirit. And may we be more than conquerors in this life. And may we truly live lives of obedience to you and, the, and honor uh, you know, to our parents and all those kind of things I pray would characterize us. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.